the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic. I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. And for those of you who do, do not know about Financing Solutions, for the last 12 years, we have been the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for, for nonprofits. And yes, there is a company that specializes in providing financing to nonprofits. And uh, we're one of the only companies that really does it. So, uh, you know, it's good to know about us. Uh, people love their lines of credit at the nonprofits. There's a lot of uneven cash flow. It really helps you with issues, which meant like making payroll, which is, you know, important. If you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your nonprofit, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor for today's our spo- uh, uh, podcast. Our sponsor is Arrays, Fast Fund Online. It's accounting software that's specifically made for small to medium-sized um, nonprofits. And as you all know, I'm a firm believer in, uh, in software that's made for an industry. So instead of you using QuickBooks and making it work for your nonprofit, you know, uh, Arrays is a great product for you. I have one of the uh, nonprofits that I'm a board member on. We switched to Arrays. We're really happy with them. Um, and if, you know, if you're interested, please take a look at their website, Arrays.com. It's A-R-A-I-Z-E. Dot com, or you can call Joe at 866-840-7449 and tell him Steve sent you as well. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Stephen King, who's a returning guest. He was actually one of my, I'm on my, one of my other podcasts that I have. And Stephen King is from Growth Force. Uh, Force. And we're going to be talking about fraud prevention in nonprofits, what you don't know you need to know about fraud prevention for your nonprofit. And Steve is a highly energetic and motivational business leader, entrepreneur, and speaker. He has a passion for helping businesses and nonprofits reach their growth potential. He's regarded as a top accounting industry thought leader and a founder of the first company to deliver accounting over the internet. He now serves as the founder and CEO of Growth Force. Um, Stephen, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. So over your, your time, uh, what have you seen in regards to fraud at nonprofits? Well, um, the short answer is that every year of studying the reports that come out, and specifically the Society of Fraud Examiners does this comprehensive, they call it report to the nation on occupational fraud. And every year that I've been looking at this, and I, I go back to the 90s. And when I was at Ernst & Young, I was a manager of accounting system design. And as a CPA, they said, okay, you're our internal controls guy. So my job was when we designed big accounting systems to make sure that we had the internal controls in place. And so I got interested in understanding what the value was of putting some of these controls in place, started reading this Society of Fraud Examiner reports, and it was shocking to see how much small nonprofits and small businesses get affected through fraud. And so came kind of my, my 
part of my life's work is to help that reduce that risk because it's really damaging. If you think it can't happen to you, you're dead wrong, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You think if it hasn't happened to you, you don't pay much attention to it. But I'll give you uh, two instances of fraud that uh, we saw. You know, uh, one was one of the other businesses I owned at one time. Uh, it, it was it wasn't internal fraud, but uh, our payroll company did not make the payroll taxes to the government. And he, the owner embezzled the money, a million dollars. That wasn't my own mine. Embezzled a million dollars. He had a cocaine habit. And, um, and actually my bookkeeper had to go testify against him. We, we, we were lucky. So what happens is you think that when you make your, the payroll, everybody should know this. When you think that you make, uh, when you pay your payroll company to pay your taxes, if they don't pay it, it's still your responsibility. You know, that's, uh, that is one great example because payroll is one area that really requires special attention. Um, if your bookkeeper insists on doing the payroll, that's a red flag. There's the costs of, of ADP and paychecks and some of the other payroll providers like Insperity. It's way less than having uh, a bookkeeper do it because they make a lot of money on the float. And so you start to look at where do you have the risks? And the single biggest risk um, is in having one trusted person who does everything. I mentioned earlier at Ernst & Young, setting up systems of internal controls. That's the most important takeaway. If there's one thing that your listeners listen to today, you have to make sure that you separate out the person who creates a transaction, from the person who approves the transaction, from the person who records the transaction and reconciles it on the back end. So for example, the person who enters the payroll should not be the person who approves the payroll. Somebody else needs to be looking at the hours and the dollars and making sure that it's legit. And then on the back end, the person who reconciles the payroll tax liability accounts and the payroll expenses needs to be a third set of eyes. That's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, and just uh, to tag in, if I, I don't know if anybody is still using small payroll companies, but are they, Stephen? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of loyalty to community companies, you know, local businesses. I don't. I'd say it's in the fifteen percent, not the fifty, yeah. but it's still there. So uh, the thing that I would recommend, if you are using a small payroll company uh, uh, and, uh, you know, like an accountant, uh, your accountant, stuff like that, then require them to give you a receipt from the government that the uh, payroll is made. Is there, is that, uh, is that still the way to do it? Yeah, that's exactly the way to do it. Right. But, but, but also just not um, entrusting one organization to do or one person to do everything. So. For example, payroll is particularly a high focus for, for nonprofits to look at because the dollar amounts of the theft are so high. You know, we're talking about, uh, according to this report uh, from the nation, the, the impact of a, of a theft from payroll was $60,000. That's a lot of money. And, and, and here's the kinds of the reasons why you need to watch this. There's so many things that a bookkeeper can do that you'll never find. For example, if they're 
paying, entering the payroll and approving the payroll and then filing the payroll tax returns. And I hope there's no bookkeepers listening that's going to learn from these things. I'm trying to share the for the executive directors what to watch out for. You can just change your your withholdings and go into the payroll system and bump up your own gross pay, but take a lot more money out of the ta on taxes. Your net check will be exactly the same. So. You know, if you're still doing things manually, which of course you shouldn't be at this age, but you when you see the when you see the dollar amounts, it's still going to show you, you know, a thousand dollars net. But if the bookkeepers entering the payroll, approving the payroll, and then reconciling and filing all the taxes, they can adjust their W two to increase their wages for the extra amount of tax deposits that you put in that you'll never see and then claim that as a refund. There's so many ways that payroll can get ripped off. You know, inflated hours, fake employees are the common ones, but you should not do your own payroll. You should be outsourcing that. Yeah, let me let me ask you. I'm just curious uh if if uh if the payroll company didn't pay the taxes and you close your nonprofit or the executive director leaves and the government comes back at you and says you didn't make your payroll to is the executive director personally responsible yeah you are personally and the board of directors wow pers personally responsible for making sure that taxes are uh, that are withhold, withheld on behalf of somebody else are remitted to the government. So there's a big difference between uh, withholding taxes, so sales taxes and payroll taxes. The IRS and the, and the states look at this and say, this is not your money. You took it from your employees. You took it from your vendors. You charge them sales tax. And if you don't immediately pay that, that's how you go to jail. That's fraud. Yeah, it's fraud. Yeah, and, yeah. And you can you can say it's not our our problem, and you can point the finger to the payroll provider who's gone bankrupt and there's no assets to get. The IRS wants its coin, and they're going to get it one way or another. So you're just, you know, we do GrowthForce does outsourced is an outsourced accounting department, right? So we do payroll and billing and collections and all that kind of stuff. And because of the the um, the the benefits of not sleep, peace, having peace of mind and being able to sleep at night when your head hits the pillow. Plus combined with, you know, if you want to really, payroll is 82% of a nonprofit's expenses. But there's nothing else that matters, right? It's over 80% of the expenses. When you add in fully loaded labor costs, right? You have to have taxes, health insurance, 401k, training, recruiting, all that. And the other big reason why you don't want to have your bookkeeper doing it, not just to reduce the risk of fraud, but you have to account for that big expense properly in order to be able to show your donors the tangible result of their gift. You have to allocate that labor cost to each program, to each funding mm, source. That's a good way to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so you get a benefit of actually having reports that are that are that are able to show the donor the tangible result of the gift. Here's what you gave us money for, and here's how we spent it. 
And you, in addition to that benefit, you don't have to worry about, is there a second set of eyes looking over your shoulders? So what other things? I mean, the other thing that I've seen, it hasn't happened to me, but I have a good friend who owned a, a pretty big business, not big business, a good-sized business, um, and he um, he had uh, uh, his accountant was stealing money from the company. So was that number two on the list? Well, what's interesting, again, this report to the Nation of Occupational Fraud has great statistics here. 49% of all fraud was committed by people who are working four departments. Number one, accounting. So if you have one person who's paying the bills and reconciling the bank account, you got to stop that. Outsource the bank reconciliations. Have your CPA or a company like GrowthForce do that for you because that's the number one department that's fraud. Operations, sales, and, and, and the leadership team were the other departments. What's interesting is it takes 12 months to detect fraud. The average fraud is about $8,500 a month. Overall, it's $117,000 lost before somebody gets detected. And more than half of the organizations never get a dollar back. Why? I had a, I had a small organization who was the same thing. The bookkeeper was taking the payroll tax deposits and was putting them in their own bank account, and they were opening the mail. By the way, the mail is something you should separate. The, the bookkeeper, the accountant should not open the mail because when those envelopes come from the government with red letters on the outside, you want to see that. And so have your receptionist or someone other than accounting opening the mail. It also allows you to separate the cash receipts. One person opens up any checks that come in and records a log. Another person puts them in the bank. But the, over half the people never get any money back because it's too expensive to file a criminal charge and then a civil charge. And But what I thought was really interesting is 96% of the fraudsters are first-time offenders. Why? Because nobody presses charges. Just It's too embarrassing. Just move on. And so it happens a lot more than you think. You know, the, the largest dollar value is billing fraud. You know, what's, what's um, this is really when you're talking about somebody who is uh, creating invoices for vendors that don't exist, small amounts, or adjusting uh, bills you know, we had we saw one outsourced CFO who was billing their client every three weeks instead of every month. Well, you know, all of a sudden you got an extra four or five payments at the end of the year. You're paying 30% more. And so billing schemes are are the the first biggest one in terms of dollar value. The the next one, which you know really is um grown here is corruption. Corruption means that you have you have somebody who is in collusion with somebody else. Separations of duties is about 
having those three pieces separated, creating a transaction, entering the transaction, and then doing the reconciliation. When two or more people work together, they overcome those separations of duties. And what's interesting is in 10 years, the amount of fraud that's had two people or more has grown from 42% of the fraud to almost 60% of the fraud. Now, how do you prevent all this is really the right discussion, right? And I've got a lot of great examples and stories of how people got ripped off, which I'd love to share. But the number one way you stop this is a tone at the top. The, the, the leader of the organization has to communicate the expectations of being an employee and demonstrate through their own behaviors and their actions, honesty and trust. You know, an executive director who is squeezing the employees, creating a culture of you know, dog eat dog or a mindset that compete gets people pitted against each other is going to have more fraud than a, an executive director who communicates a commitment to strong ethics and a commitment to best practices. And that's what these studies have shown is that you can't build an organization based on trust. You don't let your belief in your staff affect the best practices that you need to put. It has nothing to do with trust. And the smaller the organization, the bigger the risk of fraud. Giant Fortune 1000 companies, they have much lower risk of fraud because they have systems of internal controls. They have safeguards. But small organizations, there's a checklist that we've written an ebook on this, right? A, a, a guide to preventing fraud. Number one is setting the right tone at the top. There will be a zero tolerance policy. And every employee needs to understand what is fraud. You'd be shocked. Like we had one client who did get ripped off by that office manager who stole the payroll taxes. And then when they tried to go after them because they were so angry, the lawyer said, well, you can't file a criminal charge because you don't have an employee handbook that they sign that says you're not allowed to use organizational resources for your own personal good. And I remember talking to the detective thinking, what? They have to sign that? It's like, yeah, to, in a court of law, a lawyer is going to say, well, how did they know? They were just borrowing it. They were going to pay it back. And so that's the second thing is making sure your handbook says real clearly what constitutes fraud and what are the expectations. And then the third, and this is the number one way that fraudsters get caught, is to create a hotline, a confidential tip line. You know, employees need to know where do they go to report potential fraud and set real clear those expectations. If you see something, say something. And then, of course, you do the things like surveys of your employee to just see, you know, are people happy? Because if people are unhappy, then you're going to you're going to have more risk of fraud. And then I mentioned the internal controls. That's the checklist that we recommend. You know, a lot of our listeners, executive directors, I mean, they're running around like crazy. You know, I mean, they these are smaller organizations, you know, million, two million, three million in revenue. Uh, what would your advice be to somebody who's like, you know, listen, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you've either probably, you've had an issue with fraud, maybe 
maybe maybe you're concerned with it. You know, what would you recommend to uh, an exec director that runs a smaller nonprofit? You know, about time management in regards to being preventative in regards to fraud. Yeah, I, I think this applies to um, uh, everything, not just fraud. But fraud is a great example of this. The best organizations focus, and the best leaders focus on the things that only they can do. Right? They're they're spending their time on their unique value, their unique uh, skill sets. You know, the program work that they were hired for, the managing of the board. They're spending their limited hours on the one on the pieces. The, on the activities that have leverage. There's a fundamental concept here. The reason why outsourcing is growing so much is because number one, we can't find qualified financial staff. Nobody can. I have an advantage because a bookkeeper for me is gonna get promoted to a staff account who might make senior, who might make manager. There's a career path and they know they're going to Growth Force University and they're gonna get skill sets that they wouldn't get if they went to work for a small business or a small nonprofit. And instead of trying to push that rope uphill, trying to find somebody, and you know, nobody went to graduate school to get an MBA in finance to say, okay, instead of making $150,000 as a CFO, I'm willing to take $75,000. So what you end up is with people who are self-taught, who don't have the experience to be able to guide the executive director on how to avoid the challenges. And so use other people's resources. Lean on your CPA if they deliver outsourced accounting, or again, firms like GrowthForce, to be able to focus your time on the things that only you can do the things that you have the most leverage. Raising money is the job of the executive director. I was the chief financial officer, and then I was the director of development for a nonprofit called Amnesty International USA. I spent seven years there raising about 20 million a year. If the executive director can focus their energy on the program management and donor engagement, and then board management, full stop, those three things, Hire other people to manage the rest of it. Take it off your plate and hold them accountable. And you have to inspect what you expect, right? Your, your, your example is a great one. Inspect what you expect. Get a copy of the payroll tax payment from the payroll provider, especially if they're a small one. But the fundamental thing is, you know, don't try and do it all. You, that's that's the best advice for small businesses, and I believe every nonprofit needs to be run like a well-run small business. I'm not I'm hearing. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, what about coming back to uh, so you let's say you do outsource it. Let's say it's not Growth Force, but let's let's say it's another organization. How do you make sure they're not committing fraud? Well, do they have separation of duties? Do they have three sets of eyes? Are you just, you don't want to outsource from yourself having one person doing it all to go to your CPA who does your tax return and then they hire a bookkeeper and then the bookkeeper does it all, right? You have to have a team. You have to have somebody, again, who's creating the transaction, who's approving the transaction versus who's reconciling it. And you want to have somebody who is a partner. You know, some firms just like, oh, no, you can't touch. Let's say you're, you know, using QuickBooks or whatever accounting system. Say, no, you can't touch us. It's just us. 
Well, I like my clients to be, we like to teach them how to click on one button and pull up the reports they need so they can see the data at their fingertips. And then you can have, you have a question about something, you just go get it and look at it and be able to learn how to read and interpret those results. You know, the, 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 to me, the biggest uh, value that we provide is giving the program manager a budget versus actual report that you can see how much money is left in your budget. So you can make decisions based on data. The same thing is true for an executive director. You have to be able to be taught, have a, have a partner that's going to teach you how to click on literally a button. You can do it on your iPhone if you're, in, if you're on an online accounting system and see the data that you want to have at your fingertips. You can see that on the, uh, you, if you can see the data, you can reduce that risk of fraud. You won't you eliminate it, it, but you'll reduce it. You think it's a good idea for an executive director to look at the at the end of every month your bank statements just to see what transactions are there? Is it, do you th- I mean, this is not a leading question. I'm asking you no. if you think it's a good idea. No, it's actually it is a checklist that we've got in the ebook of the things that you should do. You, we believe that someone other than the person who is reconciling the bank account needs to review the bank statement. So Which, you should look. I'm oh, sorry. Finish up. It yeah. doesn't have to be the executive director. Right. It can just it could be, you know, in real small organizations, I often see it as the treasurer. Right. If they're really small, micro, you know, under half a million dollars worth of organizations where your founder led and the tr- and the board is more of a active fulfilling in roles of some of the management team. But in a larger organization. It just needs to be anyone that is not in the process of creating the transaction, approving the transaction or reconciling the bank. What you're looking for is you're looking for transfers. You're looking for, for money out and checks, right? ACHs and, and EFTs and any checks. Um, and what we suggest, we, we suggest that you use two applications to reduce fraud. Number one is bill.com, to pay your bills using bill.com. Because what that does is you have rules built into your workflow that say, if this bill, was entered by this person, it has to get approved by another person. In a lot of nonprofits, if it's over a dollar amount, let's say $5,000, then someone else, the executive director or the treasurer, depending on the size, may have to sign. Bill.com has all those workflows built into it. And you have scanned images of every transaction. The invoice is in the bill on your phone. You can see it while you're sitting at a traffic light approving bills. And that all sinks into QuickBooks. To, so now your auditors have all that documentation right there at their fingertips. That's the first application to eliminate the risk of check fraud. And the other is Expensify. This is for the expense management side. If you've got a lot of people submitting expenses, well, Expensify allows you to set up rules. Hey, we only want this much in meals and we don't, you know, we, we're, it's not going to get down to you know, the micro level detail, like, you know, we won't pay for alcohol, but where you can get that, you can see the bill and you can see, is there alcohol on there? Or is this a legitimate charge to a program where it's a lot harder to do that when the bookkeeper just gives you a pile of checks to sign? Let me ask you this question, old school. uh, In some industries, it was uh, the the, uh, owner of the company or, you know, I don't know about executive directors, would sign all checks themselves, personally sign the checks themselves. 
uh, why and and some rather large organizations. Well, I, I have a hunch why the owner would do that. Why why did they do that at the time? Well, even to this day, the equivalent of signing is approving on the app on Bill.com. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I am the only one in our company, and we have fifty plus employees. Uh, so we're you know a medium sized small business. I sign every bill. I, every, I'm the only one who can pay it. I'm the only one who can transfer money. I can the only one who can, you know, my accountant can, can, uh, can use funds that I've approved. Like if we need the line of credit, for example, as you mentioned, right, which is the lifeblood when, you know, you've got three payrolls in a, in a month, sometimes you need to tap that. But I have to approve that on the app. And so I don't think that should change. I mean, whatever the approval process was in the old days when you were signing physically, the same controls are in place. It's just a lot easier when you don't have to wait, you know, and get a stack of checks and have to physically sign them. It's a lot easier now to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, and so the, going back to like we talked about, like, oh, I had suggested and you agreed that you should be looking at your your bank statements at the end of every month. I also uh, would suggest that everybody at the end of every month be looking at three other things. Number one is their income statement. Number two is your balance sheet. And uh, lastly, uh, this is uh, a little irrelevant, but you should have a, a list of KPIs, key performance indicators um, that you are, you are, you are me- measuring. You know, how much donations did you have come in that month? Uh, what's the year to date of donations? Uh, what's your expenses on each program? You know, anything that you figure as a KPI, that's less to do with fraud, just a good business practice. But looking at your income statement and your balance sheet, and, and the reason why I say that is knowing what each category is, knowing what, you know, uh, you know, I don't enough, know enough about nonprofit accounting, but knowing what each section is, uh, is really important because you may be able to see some anomalies too, right? Would that is would you say that's good practice? Yeah, and, and I would add I would add something to it. You know, the the in the nonprofit world, the income statement is called the the statement of functional expenses. And you what you want to look at on that income statement or statement of functional expenses is your actual results versus your budget. It's really yeah. critical because. Anything that you spend money tracking your actual results on, you need to also have a budget because the budget makes the report actionable. Now you can look at this and say, okay, here's the variances. And every nonprofit we work with does this. They have a budget. But by comparing the actuals against budget allows you to see, for example, we had one nonprofit client who the client was paying the bills and we reconciled the bank account and we noticed there was a a second AT&T bill came in, 500 bucks, wasn't a big amount, but we never had that before. We flagged it because the budget for the phone bill was $700 and then the actual came out to be at 1200 bucks. It was $500 extra. So when we go in and do our variance analysis every month, we flag, okay, here's the reasons for that. So in this case, we just sent a message to the executive director saying, hey, did you guys add another AT&T account? No. We called AT&T because you're not going to go to the person who paid the bill and say, okay, your, your 
your did you did you write a check for your own AT&T bill and that's what she did her husband lost her job she couldn't afford it was christmas time she couldn't afford to pay the bills and buy christmas gifts so she borrowed $500 so the budget is what flagged it if you didn't if you didn't have that comparison of the budget versus actual you would not have seen that somebody had financial difficulties and what last point here Stephen. 85% of the people who committed fraud, this is a big one, displayed behavioral red flags. They, they have financial difficulties. A spouse loses a job. You have a loved one suddenly having severe health issues. They start exhibiting control issues. No, nobody else can get into the accounting system. No, I don't want anybody messing it up. No, I'll, I'll take care of it. What do the auditors need? I'll give it to them. You start seeing that, that's a red flag. I'll do the payroll, oh, I, I got it. It's easier for me to do it. We don't have to spend any more money. Or on the flip side, they're living beyond their means. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, we're going to Hawaii for three weeks, I need a, you know. Or I, I just got this big bet on cryptocurrency or look at my posts on Facebook about this beautiful new blah, blah, blah. That's something that you can see in addition to the budget. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest issues I think we all have, and I especially executive directors, because executive directors typically are really good-hearted people. Yes. Uh, you know, I think that we think the best of people, not the worst. And we don't think, you know, you're working with these people every day. You don't think that they're going to steal from you. And, right. uh, and then it catches us all by surprise. If you've been around long enough, you see uh, terrible things happen that you wouldn't have expected. And then, and then you kind of get into place. So I, I, I would say firsthand experience uh, that I would tell everybody that um, uh, you need to verify everything. Just like what Steven is saying that, you know, you don't have the same person doing all the jobs, uh, especially in the accounting or, you know, maybe you need to look at your organization and see where there's like a fraud audit of your organization potential, you know, and then put processes and procedures in place. And plus, Stephen, you said you have an ebook uh, that people can get that would help them look at certain areas, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a guide to reducing fraud. The steps, literally step by step to detect, reduce, and then prevent fraud. And they would find that on your website, growthforce.com? Yeah, if you go to growthforce.com slash NFP, not for profit, you can, you'll see a form on there that will start the conversation. We actually have a lot of resources on there. My favorite, which we talked about in our, you know, our last non -po podcast, was our, our executive director's guide to board and management reports. What should you be presenting to the board? What should each leader on the team be have at their fingertips when they're trying to make decisions? So yeah, growthforce, G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com slash NFP. Great. Well, it was a really good podcast. It made it very interesting to me I and I'm sure our listeners as well. So I'd like to thank uh, so very much Stephen King from Growth Force for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a five-star review. The Nonprofit MBA podcast is in the top 1% of all podcasts 
uh, for the nonprofits. And we're very proud of that. We've been around for six years doing this now. And we have great guests like Stephen uh, coming on. So, uh, and of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can, you can visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Stephen, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, email is the best way. Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at GrowthForce. Again, GrowthForce.com. I, our website, I mentioned growthforce.com slash NFP, but I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter as Stephen King with a PH, Stephen King CPA. So I would love to answer your questions. Just email me. It really gives me great joy to help nonprofits further their mission. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So just like I usually do at every end of every podcast, I want to, you know, uh, just remind our listeners that, uh, you need to, at the end of the day, you, in the beginning of the day, you need to be thinking of yourself as far as taking good care of yourself. Uh, we all know that executive directors are, are running around doing so many things to take to make the world a better place. And I thank you for that. I know Stephen thanks you as well. And uh, we need to, we all need to do our part in making this world a better place. But you, uh, as the leader of your organization, need to make sure you're taking care of yourself because you're no good to your employees, you're no good to your cause, you're no good to your family if you don't take care of yourself first. And that includes everything we know, uh, exercise, eating right, sleeping, taking good care of yourself because this, this is a marathon race, not a sprint. So please keep that in mind as you going for your day. What can you do for yourself to make sure that you're okay? All right, everybody, it was great talking to you today. Stephen did a great job of telling us about fraud prevention, and I think it was really good to, to uh, hear from him today. 